Welcome back to the Minute Women Podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. How are you this week, Linnea? I am just great. It's a beautiful, sunshiny day. It is. It's spring. It finally feels like spring today. Yeah, it was a nice day. I feel like every day we record is a nice day. Like, Cape Breton is notorious for terrible spring weather, but like every day we record, it's just rays of sunshine. Yeah. Love that. I'm actually, actually a little bit bummed. Because I realized today that, so this is the 14th episode of the podcast. Yes. Which means we've recorded just as many of these episodes in isolation as we have in actual person in the studio. Because the last one we recorded in person was the rural teacher, which was episode seven. That's so depressing. I know. It it also makes me think like, whoa, the last month like has blown by. It really has. It's crazy. I... I was talking about this with my family like yesterday that even though we're all in isolation and we're not doing what we normally do, time just seems to be flying by. Like, it's yeah, crazy. It's like every day is so routine and monotonous that like looking yeah. back at it, I'm like, I have no idea when that happened. <laughs> I have no clue. So I thought we'd like keep the ball rolling on like cool ladies in Canadian history. I love that. And so we're going to do the classic... Nellie McClung yes. Heritage Minute. Yeah. Yes, we are. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a Heritage Minute that, like, when you watch it as a kid, you have no idea what's happening. No. Because it, it, Nellie McClung is a suffragette. She's, like, largely responsible for women getting the vote in Manitoba. Yeah. So the premise of the minute is that she's confronting the premier asking why women can't have the vote, he tells Nellie that, you know, nice women don't want the vote. Like, if you were a respectable lady, you wouldn't want to vote. But after, yeah, after her confrontation with the premier, it jumps to a mock parliament. Like, it jumps to this, like, protest that the women are doing. But as a kid, it's just like, I have no idea what, I I don't understand this. I just remember as, as a kid, Think, like knowing that she was being sassy, like knowing oh, that yeah. she was being badass, like oh, <laughs> yeah, she's nice standing at the podium. Women don't vote. I was like, ooh, girl, that's sass. Because the yeah, like during the mock parliament, it's all like the women invent this like fake government in which men are not allowed to vote. Right, and so they're saying like nice men don't want the vote. What would yeah. happen if men were allowed to vote? If men were allowed to vote, there'd be alcoholism and desertion of families and it yeah. resulted divorce, like all these like <laughs> things. And then eventually, you know, women get the vote and she runs for and, office. And she sees that guy at the, like, that's the heritage minute is that she sees that guy at yeah. the polling station and makes the little quip to him. And he's all like, and she also, I don't know if it's historically accurate, but she towers over him in the hair. Yeah, which she I is love. Like a solid I hope that's foot true. Taller. I hope that's I, true. I, I never found anything that was like Nellie McClung was a giant lady, but uh, who knows? <laughs> we'll keep that kind of un- undisturbed. That yeah. Because yeah. initially, when I was doing the research for this, I was I set out to do Angus McPhail. Okay. Um, 
which is the first uh, female member of parliament in Canada. Oh, okay, cool. And because that heritage minute always terrified me as a child, because one of the things that she remember that one. It was like one of the things that she stood up for when she was in the House of Commons was um, like the rights of prisoners and like treatment of prisoners. I do remember that one. Yeah, because they like show people being tortured in a yeah. prison, and it yeah. horrified me as a kid. Like I couldn't watch that. And it's one. that very there is a very early '90s signature on Heritage Minutes, and that is one of yeah. them. It's like it's like there's that one. There's the Laura Secord one. Like they all have this same like kind of filming structure where there's like weird shaky flashbacks, like the seizure yeah. one. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it would just, like, it cuts really, like, jaggedly across. Yeah. Because like, she's then, like, debating in the House of Commons, like. Yeah. It's like, it's whatever, blah, blah, blah. And all of the men in the opposition are like, you know, maybe she's, like, our female member of parliament is too fragile for the realities of, like. Yeah. The prison system are too fragile for the realities of the world. And she, like, cracks down on the desk yeah. with, like, a, like, a. Some, like something you'd use to beat a person. I don't like even know what you call yeah, it. Yeah, it's something yeah. like that. And she's like, is this normal? And I was just like, as a child, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to watch American Idol. <laughs> now I'm here. I remember, I remember that episode for sure. And it was definitely, yeah, very jarring. So Yeah. But I, I ended up switching to Nellie McClung because as I was researching it I was like oh it makes no sense to do the political accomplishments of this woman without kind of talking about yeah the the giants whose shoulders she's standing on so we're gonna get into kind of like Nellie McClung and all of the successes she had the good the bad and the ugly of Nellie McClung because she's also a bit of a controversial figure in today's day and age yeah ooh, we'll get into it (laughs) I'm ready the drama So women's fight for equal rights in Canada was a long, slow process. It also was not a story of continual progress. So there's yes. constant it's still setbacks. It's still in progress. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's, it's a situation of like two step forwards, one step back. Yeah. So for example, between 1809 and 1849 in the colony of Quebec, women who owned property were allowed to vote. So oh. women actually could vote in the 1800s however in 1849 the word male was included in the franchise act in quebec which then from then on excluded women right so it was almost like an oversight they're like oh god we wrote it so women are allowed to vote that's weird yeah (laughs) better fix that man i can't believe that slipped our judgment Generally, women were granted rights in relation to their sphere of influence. So okay, it was socially acceptable during the Victorian period for women to be involved in things like religion and education, child rearing right. and housemaking. Therefore, their political rights tended to reflect this. So okay. in 1850, for example, in Ontario, women with property had the right to vote for school trustees. So they can't vote right. in politics, but they can vote for people to be on school boards. So things that men felt were in their in their judgment kind of sector. Yeah. Things that like, women were allowed to have opinions on. Exactly. It's <laughs> like a woman has no idea what she's talking about when it comes to like political affairs, but right. 
she probably has some good ideas about who should be allowed to be a teacher or who should be allowed yeah. to be a school trustee. Should a woman be allowed to be a school trustee? Yeah. No. No. That <laughs> has to deal with like money and economics and stuff. But she can but decide who she can, can decide be on the board. who it should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's not get um, crazy. <laughs> yeah, let's like let's let's not get out of hand. <laughs> they were also allowed to defend kind of like the sanctity of their womanhood. So it, okay. the British Matrimonial Causes Act ado- was adopted in Canada, and it made divorce possible for women on grounds of adultery. So, okay, you know, like divorce isn't fully accepted yet, but you could say like, hey, my husband did things that impacted my ability to be a good woman. I should be allowed to be separated from him. And they would, in some cases, say that was okay. Okay. That's a that's a step. Yeah, I mean, it's incremental steps, and yeah. it is like those things sound so small today, but, but it's a step nonetheless. It's a step nonetheless, and I think when you have that kind of perspective, it allows you to celebrate small achievements yeah. that we even win today. It's just yeah. like we haven't been able to like overhaul the system on environmental regulations and stuff but yeah you have to kind of take every small victory as a stepping stone but women were hungry for more in Canada so a really famous example is Dr. Emily Stowe who's another star of a heritage minute and she was a a medical student but she needed to leave Canada to become a doctor so she wasn't accepted into Canadian schools she graduated in 1867, but even though she had obtained a medical license, she wasn't allowed to practice in Canada until 1880. So she spent okay. a good chunk of her medical career in the United States. Right. So upon Confederation, there were three basic conditions that you needed to be a voter. You needed to be male, you needed to be 21 or older, and you needed to be a British subject by birth or by naturalization. Okay. And this was the political climate that Nellie was born into. So when Nellie is born, those are the priorities for voters. So no women and no, women. no people of varying ethnicities. Yeah, you basically, yeah, you need to be 21 white or older. Man. <laughs> white man. And yeah, either a British subject by birth or by naturalization. So... I don't know what the exact laws around naturalization are, but yeah, you can be sure that like, it's not black people. It's not indigenous people. It's not people that you could point out on a street and be like, hey, you're different. (laughs) (laughs) They're not allowed to vote. No. Uh, So Nellie is the daughter of immigrants. She was born to John Johnny Mooney and Letitia McCurdy. So John was an Irish immigrant from Tipperary, Ireland, who in 1841 took up a land grant across from Georgian Bay in Ontario, and he was Georgian Bay is beautiful. I was there last summer. Is it It northern Ontario or is it like southern Ontario? No, it's more southern. Okay, so he was a lumberman, uh, and his first marriage was to his first cousin Margaret. You know, a a love, a lovely trend. Uh, But she died after one year of their marriage. And that's when he remarried to Nellie's mother. Okay. Not his his first cousin. Second cousin? No, not related at all. Uh, Wow, good for him. (laughs) Shocking. 
So, but in true Minute Women fashion, she was 20 years younger than him. Of course. Of course. <laughs> if you can't marry your first cousin, at least marry someone <laughs> who is a generation younger than you. Well, that makes sense why Nellie was so smart for her age. She just wasn't inbred, you know? <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> So Nellie's mother was also an immigrant, uh, but she was from Dundee, Scotland. So imagine growing up in that household. What accent do you have when your father is from Tipperary, Ireland, and your mother is from (laughs) Dundee, Scotland? You don't pronounce R's, that's for sure. (laughs) I don't even want to like, I don't want to imagine what learning the English language would have been like. I imagine that... You, you like Nellie, would just sound like Hagrid from Harry Potter. <laughs> and she was so tall. It's all coming together. Nellie McClung is Hagrid's grandmother. <laughs> uh, so she traveled to Canada and then shortly after married Johnny. And the couple then had six children, Nellie being the youngest. It's always okay. the youngest that are like, I'm going to go yeah. out and do my own thing. So Nellie was raised with very strict Christian uh, beliefs. It was a very strict Christian upbringing. And she was taught the value of hard work, education, rural life, and discipline. As an adult, she would later reflect that her parents nearly perfectly reflected their home country's stereotypes. So her father, she loved her father's wit and lightheartedness. And she admired her mother's hardiness, determination, and sense of personal duty if not her strict Calvinist approach to life. So like okay. your stereotypical Scott, your stereotypical Irishman. Those are her parents. I love it. So as Canada began to expand west, the Mooney family followed the mass migration of land-hungry farmers to the prairies. The family traveled by steamship, ox cart, and eventually by foot to reach the Surrey River Valley in Manitoba. So the family wanted to avoid potential violence and political upheaval that was taking place between uh, the Métis and the British government at this point in time, or the Canadian government. Right. So they decided to settle in Milford, which was kind of away from the Red River Valley a little bit. Okay. So, But it's extra isolated. I mean, the prairies are isolated as a given, but the family is extra isolated in Milford. The Mooney Farm was successful, though life was tough. Nellie wrote fondly and romantically about her life and childhood in a 1935 autobiography called Clearing in the West. And she had she had an affectionate Methodist family, and she remembers kind of like running wild in prairie fields and waking up on cold winter nights with her hair frozen to her bedclothes. Can you imagine? You wake up and your hair is frozen. Like, I complain all the time that my bedroom back at my parents' house is really, really cold. But I've never woken up in the night with frozen hair. And it's like prairie winters. That's like negative 40. That's like, and I'm assuming that her hair wasn't wet when she went to bed. I don't think so. Like, that's just just like like, dry hair. (laughs) There's frost in her bedroom. Yeah. Ugh. I'm telling you, the past is terrible. Everyone who <laughs> wants to time travel. Place. Yeah. Do you want your hair frozen in the middle of the night? I didn't no. think so. So uh, Nellie's childhood as a homesteader instilled her with a great respect and empathy for rural women, and she would carry that with her for the rest of her life. 
One example was her strict observance and support of temperance. So this is like a high watermark for the temperance movement and prohibition. Um, And particularly in like rural farming communities, alcohol can be a problem because in a lot of uh, I wrote my undergraduate thesis on the temperance movement. So I'm about to sound off for a second. (laughs) But everybody buckle up. Everyone buckle up. It's time for Grace to educate you Uh, in a lot of like British society and community it's it's a drinking culture because for a long time you just have like ale and ale is i mean back then is probably like three percent at most like it's not even what beer would be today and then suddenly you're moving to the west and you can make all of this rye and all these different grains but you can't necessarily sell it all the time so a way to make money off of it is to ferment it and distill it and you're making whiskey but you come from a culture where you have like a pint of a of a drink and suddenly you have like a 35% liquor at your disposal if not oh more so you're like it's it's like if you entered a society that had no idea what hard liquor was and they're like right. okay I'll have like a pint of that that seems normal and then they then, die <laughs> and then you die of alcohol that's poisoning called it's the first Laura year university thing. you know like that's that's what <laughs> yeah. first year university is absolutely it's the <laughs> first time you don't have your parents around yeah but there's vodka everywhere you're like oh a glass of a red solo cup of vodka that sounds good <laughs> we take our education very seriously it's not here good on the kids podcast it's not good for you <laughs> don't do that please but, So, yeah, like, so temperance, especially for women, is, like, a really big movement. And so Nellie actually, like, remembers the first time she was exposed to public drunkenness. It was at, like, a a family picnic. And, like, there was, like, a dad there that was, like, really, really drunk. Um, And and she quickly kind of made it part of her life's work to try and implement prohibition and temperance. And she agreed with her mother that... Uh, that liquor was one of the devil's devices for confounding mankind. Nellie's not really super fun to party with. I'm going to throw <laughs> that out there right now. Like, like last week we did Mona Parsons. Like, Mona Parsons you could party with. Like, I feel like she'd be a great yeah. time. Yeah. Nellie, not so much. I don't know if not I want to so bring Nellie to a party. <laughs> no. But respect no, her for Nellie, what she did. Nellie's a, a good girl. She's a good girl. She's, she's what we would call a wasp. Yeah. So a wasp is, yeah, like a white Anglo-Saxon, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Protestant. Yeah, She's a big old wasp. <laughs> she is a waspy, that one. <laughs> She's like the prototypical wasp. If um, wasps, do wasps have like queen bees? Because she'd be like the queen wasp. Like <laughs> she'd be that. <laughs> yeah. Beyonce has the beehive. Nellie McClung has the. Wasp nest. Don't. Yeah. I don't have a punchline, but yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> the charlotte hornets (laughs) nelly's all like liquor is the devil's device liquor is bad and she's only nine at this point oh goodness she's nine years old so uh and it's at this point that nelly starts going to school so she was a reluctant learner at first but she became a very hard worker and an engaged student thanks to her teacher frank schultz um who was her teacher at northfield school for six years interesting you don't see many male teachers in that time yeah i know and especially in like rural canada yeah because so that's as we talked about in the rural teacher episode a lot of them went to cities yeah so that's they could get paid more yeah but that's that's cool yeah 
So he seems like a cool guy and he fosters her ambition and he encouraged her to question the society around her. So he's like a big philosophical teacher and he's like, you shouldn't just take everything for granted. You should question everything around you. Frank sounds Um, cool. Yeah, he's a cool guy. In particular, Schultz encouraged his students to question the dispossession by settlers of the lands of the native peoples. So he, like, Schultz's big thing was, like, you shouldn't just take for granted that you have all of this free land. Like, it's not free. We took it from other people. Which this is, like, really early for that kind of discourse to be happening. This is big talk from Frank. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, way before his time. Um, And... I wouldn't say Nellie ever became like an advocate for indigenous rights. It never really becomes her thing um, because especially like it's a very common theme during this time that people just see them as a dying race. They're like, it's a shame that everything's happening this way, but they're eventually all going to die out. Right. So why would we? it, It doesn't matter what we do now. The past is the past. But she did demonstrate quite a bit of empathy for their struggles so she's quite a prolific author and like within her writings and stuff she often expresses empathy for their situation right which is which is more than a lot of white people yeah she was sympathetic (laughs) to the to the struggles yeah exactly and for the rest of her life she kind of holds this idea that like education is how you bring people out of oppression so like poor people the thing that they need most is education and that's how they'll uplift themselves from their state of poverty so her time in school is she's not wrong it's a big big piece of the puzzle yeah um that i think a lot of people take for granted but yeah so she's her her education is a big shaper of her philosophies as she grows up um so much so that she decides to go into teaching so um, she begins as a teacher in 1890 at the Hazel School near Manitou, Manitoba, and okay. she taught all eight grades at the school, uh-huh. so from like one to eight. Busy lady. Busy lady. It didn't say if it was a one-room one schoolhouse, but I imagine it was, um, especially yeah. if she has to teach all of the students. And yeah. from out the gate, Nellie is like stirring up controversy in this small town. Oh, Nellie. Um, because she introduces football for girls and boys. So, Ooh. yeah, she's like, girls should play sports too, not just boys. Um, and it Crazy didn't say talk. football. Yeah, it didn't say football meant like American football or Ooh. like soccer. But either way, I just imagine girls like putting pads on. <laughs> They're like, I'm ready. <laughs> Put With me little skirts on. Because it's still like, what, 18, 19? What year are we in right now? 1890. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she did this to foster a sense of fair play and discipline. So she's like, those are universal values, so everybody should play. Yeah. Uh, she also demonstrated the destructive effects of alcohol in the class with temperance charts. So like in the class, she's advocating like you shouldn't be drinking alcohol, which is a good thing to advocate to children. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's like it's like Tommy, he's eight years old, coming into class. He's like, oh, my head. <laughs> and she's like, and that's why we don't drink, Tommy. Tommy. <laughs> um, Did you both... have one too many sips of rye last night, Tommy? <laughs> yeah. It's like one of the, the famous phrases in my house is that the ice melted my drink. So when like you run out of... Uh, of rye in your glass oh. it's like oh no the ice melted my drink <laughs> it's like gotta go get more 
I like the ice. That. The ice was melting Tommy's drink a bit too much. Yeah. But both of these acts, so the football thing and the temperance thing, sparked a lot of protest from parents. But Nellie dealt with their complaints with diplomacy and humor. She continued to increase her political awareness as well as she right. extended her friend network. In 1892, she met Methodist minister James Adam McClung when she began teaching at the Manitou School and became a boarder in his house. So she's like living in this a minister's house. A boarder in his bed. <laughs> Let's be real, Nellie. <laughs> so this is her father-in-law, not oh, God. her future husband. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> but it's it's extra weird because the person that she really loves in the family is Mrs. McClung. So Mrs. Oh, McClung okay. is like her idol. Um, oh, so she's a fangirl for Mrs. McClung. She wants to be a Mrs. McClung. <laughs> Absolutely. She wants to follow exactly in this woman's footsteps. <laughs> okay. So Annie E. McClung was uh, James's wife, and she was the leader of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, or the WCTU. Oh, that has it's Nellie written all group. over it. <laughs> yeah. And she's an ardent supporter of women's suffrage. And soon Nellie joined both of these campaigns. So she's like, yeah. oh, Annie's doing it. I'm, I'm going to do it, too. I'm there. Uh, Nellie's deep respect and admiration for Annie directly influenced her decision to marry into the family, which is like okay. <laughs> kind of weird. Imagine like it's like I'm marrying you because I think your mom is so cool. <laughs> Yeah. So the McClungs had several sons, so she plenty of dudes to pick from. But their second son, Wesley, was a pharmacy student, and a romance developed between Wesley and oh. Nellie. Oh, romantic. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, he's kind of like the perfect man for her. Um, he quietly. I feel like Nellie. I feel like Nellie's dating is no like. No to the three Ds. No drinking, no drugs, no doing it. Like, that is Nellie. <laughs> Definitely. That's the waspiest dating profile I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Imagine seeing that on a, on Hinge. I believe in the three Ds. No drinking, no drugs, no doing it. I'm a wasp. <laughs> and I'm a wasp. <laughs> so he quietly supported feminism all throughout his life. Uh, especially because his mother was his mother. Um, but he never really sought the spotlight of activism. He left that to women like Nellie and his mother, um, which is kind of like exactly what Nellie needs. And also like the way that you should support yeah. those kinds of causes, I think. Their courtship was interrupted when Nellie took up an opportunity to study at the Winnipeg Collegiate Institute for six months. And there she upgraded her teaching certificate. So previously she had a second class teaching certificate. Now she has a first class teaching certificate. Everything's going great. She's um, making moves. <laughs> exactly. I won't say money moves, but she's making no. money moves. <laughs> And in nineteen, uh, in 1896, she married Wesley, and then the couple settled in Manitou, where he ran a drugstore. Oh. So that's the other thing. Like, he has, like, a very consistent so job. So respectable. Wow. Very respectable. And the career that he has, it, it gets them enough money that she can kind of support her activism. So he's yeah. a very supporting husband. Wesley's really nice. I didn't want to make fun of him too much. He seems right. like a nice dude. <laughs> he seems cool. Yeah. 
Certain in her choice, she wrote, I knew I would be happy with Wes. I would not be afraid of a life with him, which is such a mild response to your future <laughs> husband. It's like, life with him? Uh, yeah, that wouldn't be too bad. It's like, where's the passion? Where's the like, freak this is out. the only life scared. I want. She's <laughs> like, no romance. I'm not afraid of it. Like, Sounds Grace, though, good. I don't get the vibe that Nellie is a romantic, okay? Like, Nellie... No. It's very, what's the word? Practical. Like, practical. Yeah, I was going to say proper, but yes, practical. She's very practical. Very practical. Yeah, I think she has like, yeah, I don't think husband was like the first thing on her list of priorities. No. Um, I will say that her getting married gives up her teaching career. So she's not allowed, not allowed, but like, yeah, it's kind of deemed below her station to be teaching anymore wow. so she gives up that career to marry wesley which i think wow. is probably if anything i think that's the most romantic thing she ever did was yeah. like i'm gonna give up this thing so we can be together yeah um the couple had five children um wow. so G- jack florence paul uh horace and mark <laughs> horace <laughs> horace what do we say it's always one kind of strange name that's great Four normal names, one kind of weird name. So motherhood brought a lot of joy to Nellie's life, um, but it hadn't always been the life that she had desired. As a child, she had really resented the fact that women were tasked with all the work of rearing children. And uh, she once stated that she questioned the old world reverence for men that women demonstrated in their lives. So she's like, why are people like so excited about what their husbands do? <laughs> this is really... <laughs> boring (laughs) during her first pregnancy uh nelly experienced a lot of physical issues though they were never really specified it seems like she had a really hard first pregnancy oh poor nelly and but for her it kind of brought a lot of perspective on motherhood and pregnancy and it's during and it's because of this that she becomes a maternal feminist okay so the kind of maternal feminist side of the movement is mostly that like women deserve political office or they deserve a voice in politics because they bring a very distinct voice and that is a voice of like being a mother and being a caregiver and they can speak to those things a lot better than men can yeah um which is like the foundation of the first wave of feminism and so that's how Nellie kind of becomes part of that In addition to motherhood, Nellie's station as a middle-class woman allowed her to revel in social activism, writing, and politics. So she feared that her comfortable life may lead to a life of complacency, and that was something that she saw in a lot of other mothers around her. Like, once you're in the middle class, it's like, oh, my life is really comfortable. I don't really have a lot of big complaints. You know, I would like to vote, but, you know... Right. It's not a big deal. Yeah. It's not a huge deal at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And so she uses the stability she has at home. as like this launching pad. Instead, she's like, I'm not going to like sit down like the rest of these women. I'm going to like really try and fight for the the rights that we should have. Yeah. So with the support of her mother-in-law and some help from hired help. So that is the other thing is that Nellie is wealthy enough to always have nannies. Like every single one of her children is raised with a nanny so it she, means that she can go out and do this stuff she definitely you know, comes from like a place she, of privilege 
She is very privileged in this. Yeah, and it's it's why she's a so bit much like activism. Yeah, yeah, she seems kind of like the mom in like Mary Poppins, who I was yes. always so disappointed by though as a kid because she's just so flighty. Like she's part of the suffragette movement, but she's just like so ditzy. Like her kids are like her second passion. Like yeah, the yeah, suffragette exactly. movement is like key, and that sounds very. That sounds kind of Nellie McClung-ish. Yeah, like... It, it's like not that she doesn't married, care about her yeah. kids, but it, it is definitely... Her driving focus is yeah. outside the home. And yeah. I, I think that during this period of time, there was far more like, you have to make a decision. Like, you yeah. can't do both. And she yeah. does try to do both. But it is important to right. recognize, like, the only reason she can go on speaking tours is because she has hired help at home. Exactly. And that's the reason so much activism and change comes from that class of people. It's not right. like poor people don't have an opinion. It's just that they don't have the time yeah. to go out and make their thoughts Or the heard. resources so, or the connections, yeah. you know? So, Yeah. It doesn't so, yeah. take away from her as a person. I mean, it's no. definitely the time that it's happening in. But yeah. we're very it, privileged today to be able to have more resources and avenues to kind of follow. Yeah. And, and like our access to knowledge is. Yeah. It is impossible to understand the barriers that people had during that period of time. Like yeah. you can't if you don't know how to read, how can you possibly access information like exactly it's it's just like a thing to remember i guess right but yeah like you said it's nothing against her really so with the support of her mother-in-law and the help of hired help at home who helped raising all of her children she forged a life outside the home it began with becoming an author so she entered a short story contest for an american magazine called collier's and she didn't win the 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 prize but what she ended up submitting became a chapter of her best-selling novel sowing seeds in danny which is often referred to as like the prairie Anne of green gables okay um so it's published in 18 uh, 1908 it was the first of a trilogy that would eventually come out and it was based on a feisty young girl named pearl watson Pearl was she an was... orphan? Did she have red hair? Is she basically <laughs> Anne? She's Anne in all of the like spunk and attitude, but I don't think okay. that she's an orphan. Um, okay. I mean, it can't be as good as Anne of Green Gables. We all read no. Anne of Green Gables today. Everybody loves Anne of Green Gables. Yeah, exactly. Also, it's in the prairies. It's no majestic coast. Nothing happens in the prairies. <laughs> But uh, Pearl was a British settler who upset the conventions of society. So it's really just like Nellie writing about herself yeah, as a child. <laughs> uh, Nellie used the trilogy to target a whole host of social issues, including domestic violence, laws that discriminated against women, single motherhood, prairie isolation, Calvinist guilt, money hoarding, early childhood <laughs> care, and cultural protections for indigenous peoples. So girl had per- some opinions she wanted to share. I just imagine Pearl like a little Nancy Drew, like, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> all of these single mothers in prairie isolation are facing domestic violence. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do today? It's like, yeah, I can imagine. I feel like that would make a decent TV show. <laughs> you know, a little cartoon, 
Little Pearl walking Little around on solving, the prairie. solving prairie mysteries. <laughs> it's like, well, we just looked at the horizon and we saw the criminal running away. So got him again, boys. <laughs> Dogs can't go missing when you just see them running away for a whole day. <laughs> oh, prairie jokes. Sorry, prairies. I, I've never visited, but uh, you seem lovely. <laughs> So this wasn't enough for Nellie, though. Nellie is still, like, really hungry for knowledge. Girl's um, got to eat, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she's hungry for society. She's hungry for politics, especially. Um, so she was an active member of Manitou's uh, Women's Christian Temperance Union. She's part of the Methodist Ladies' Aid. She's part of Home Economics Association, Epworth League, Band of Hope, and Methodist Sunday Schools. So she's still, just like still all about Jesus, eh? Yeah, she's definitely a Jesus jammer. She loves, yeah. but she's also got her hand in like every pot. She's part it. of everything. Um, in the WCTU, Nellie felt most able to tackle the problem of women's equality. So the WCTU is the largest women's organization in Canada with a wealth of political and societal resources. So it's through this organization that she can essentially be in as many rooms as possible. Cool. Um, Nellie began pursuing a career of public speaking through the WCTU. Of course she did. Yeah. She's so writing she's like, books. She's give making me the mic. moves. <laughs> and now she wants to tell everybody Bye, about honey. It. Yeah. Wesley's just at home. He's like, well, I gave seven people heroin today. She's like, that's great, dear. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going on speaking tour. Bye. <laughs> See you later. Take care of the kids. See ya. <laughs> Love you guys so much. Okay, bye. <laughs> I'm sorry. She has I don't no idea. Over. She has no <laughs> idea what the children's names are, but uh, she loves Horace, them. Horace, 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 Horace. Okay. <laughs> I know I got one of them right. <laughs> um, so she was a highly popular author, which meant that like people wanted her to speak. Um, but she's also a fiery speaker, and this put her in like really high demand across the province. Although chastised for spending so much time away for her children, uh, by us as well. Yes. <laughs> Whoops. We are We're part the, of the problem. <laughs> We're on the wrong side of history. <laughs> I wrote this. I shouldn't should have known this was coming up. <laughs> I knew I was behind this. <laughs> Um, so despite being chastised for spending so much time away from her children, she believed respectable motherhood was entirely compatible with outside work, paid and unpaid. So that's the other thing. Like, she's not paid for any of the work that she's doing right, right now. Um, but she believes that she can do both, which is yeah. awesome. Of course she which can. Which is true. It you is can true. do it all, girl. We just like to make fun of people. But like, yeah. 100%, you should totally be doing that. We stand for Nellie McClung. Both of our moms were like that. Both of our moms worked outside yeah. the home. Yeah. Um, yeah. So during her travels, she came face to face with the different struggles of women from across the country. And this added a lot of nuance to her philosophies. So as you meet more people, you, you walk a mile in other people's shoes, changes your opinion on some stuff. Yeah. Um, she also dealt with contradictions in her own beliefs. So immigration was creating a new ethnic makeup of the country that 
made her simultaneously like fear for the future, but also sympathize with the the struggles of being an immigrant. So that's Welcome it, like, to womanhood, Nellie. <laughs> Always I, fearing for the next generation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying I to mean, do what we can with the time we have. <laughs> and I mean, like she's like, I don't love immigrants, but mm-hmm. I feel bad for them. It's kind of like, it's such like a middle ground of like, okay, but you're not it actually is. helping anybody. You're just like, oh, I feel bad for you. <laughs> yeah. Her her core Ugh. political belief <laughs> was this conviction that male supremacy had a trickle-down effect that led to family desertion, alcoholism, the appropriation of uh, a wife's wage. So like women can't control their own finances, uh, domestic abuse, custody battles, basically every domestic issue she was like it's because men are in charge she's a bit of a drama queen she's she's definitely got a hard stance she's like you're not gonna find nelly in the middle of the way on any topic she's like pro or against except for immigrants (laughs) yeah and she's still big into jesus so her deep methodist beliefs made her a firm member of like the social gospel movement so like social gospel is this it's essentially like philanthropic societies but they're all into jesus which the one thing that i do find interesting though is that so the the mcclungs move around a bit but it's always based off wesley's work so like wherever he needs to work that's where they're gonna move um so in 1911 they moved to winnipeg because wesley got a job there okay in winnipeg i guess though with the work that nelly's doing with her philanthropic style of speaking and teaching and learning she can kind of do that anywhere it's probably that's better true. for her to be able to share that in various places you know that's true so, and winnipeg would definitely be a step up from manitou right winnipeg's like the capital more of a city yeah yeah, yeah. that's true and i guess she doesn't make money from doing this either so no they can they need to follow the money <laughs> yeah so in Winnipeg, Nellie was exposed to the hardships of urban life for the first time. So she's always been really involved in like the struggles of, of rural communities, but now she's seeing the hardships of an urban life. So like the issues when you have rapid urban development, the issues you have when there are industrial workers being exploited um, and they don't have any kind of like protections and stuff. So things like that. Yeah. Um, Meetings of the Canadian Women's Press Club solidified for Nellie that action, not just speeches, were necessary for women to achieve equal rights. So now she's like, I can talk the talk, but I really need to like walk the walk. I need yeah, to get out there. To, she needs to put her money where her mouth is and do Definitely. some stuff. Yeah. And she was like, the politicians are never going to listen unless we possess some kind of tangible power. And right. that power only comes from voting. So an organization yeah. needed to be formed that solely was seeking the right for women to vote. Like previously, she's like, women's right to vote is important, but this is also important and this is also important. But now she's like, no, like the sole focus right now is just getting the vote. So in early 1912, Nellie and other like-minded middle-class women formed the Political Equality League. So the league Okay, so I had- was going to ask if... There were other women doing what she was doing at that time. But it sounds like mm-hmm. now that she's in the city, there is a group of women who are yeah, in that kind of middle to upper class who have these same beliefs and ideas. Yeah, and she was definitely coming across them 
in her other organizations and stuff. But I think she really finds her home in Winnipeg. And then eventually she, she moves. I mean, she moves around the country a fair bit, but like she always finds other women who are advocating as strongly as she is. And that is one thing. Like I think Nellie McClung is the person they chose for the heritage minute, but she's like a figurehead for uh, a movement that thousands of women participated in and men. There were men participating as well. Yeah. Um, so the league had a diverse membership and also supported prohibition, um, <laughs> reforms to women's legal status and labor laws, but their okay. primary objective is winning the vote for women. Historian Catherine Lyle Cleverden described them as one of the most enterprising and successful suffrage organizations in the Dominion. Okay. So they're like... They're doing well. Yeah. This is the major they're, leagues now. They're a big deal. <laughs> So it was in Winnipeg that she also started to butt heads with her political rival, Premier Rodman Roblin, which is... That's a name. That's a name. Who names a kid that? Rodman Roblin. <laughs> that's a lot. There, I, went to, I went to Acadia with a girl whose last name was Roblin, and so everybody called her Robbie, which I thought was cool. <laughs> yeah, I like that. So her first encounter with the Premier came in 1911. Nellie was working with the local council of women, which campaigned for a female factory inspector to protect women workers. So they're like, we need a woman in there to protect women's rights. Cue cue Beyonce music video women just walking in matching outfits, strutting down halls of a factory. (laughs) Yeah, Beyonce at the Super Bowl. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm envisioning. (laughs) So... Nellie and others took the uncooperative premier through some of Winnipeg's deplorable factory conditions to prove their point, but Roblin was not moved and refused to help them. Later, Roblin is a dick. <laughs> he's just like seeing really poor people shuffle around in work, and he's just like, I'm unmoved. <laughs> Doesn't really affect me. <laughs> not bothered. Not bothered. Uh, Later, the PEL attempted to get Manitoba's Legislative Assembly to act on a massive suffrage petition, but again, Roblin's government refused to act. So in the legislature, on the 27th of January, 1914, Roblin stated he never had a closer listener in all his life in criticism of her constant hounding. So she's like around him so much that he's like, man, she must really love me. She's listening to everything I say. Oh, my God. That and that, folks, is the problem with white males in power. (laughs) But Nellie is like, oh, I'll prove to you that I'm your best listener. And that's when she hosts the Women's Parliament at the Walker Theater in Winnipeg. And so it's this epic satire that had an all-female assembly of a fake province where men were denied the vote. The assembly mocked men and denied their petition for the vote, joint guardianship of children, and economic independence. So essentially they have like men come up and be like, we'd love to vote. We'd love if we could have equal guardianship over children. And we really want economic independence. And the women are like, <laughs> no. Funny. <laughs> but- Nellie plays Roblin, so she plays the premier, and she perfectly mimicked all of not only his arguments, but like his gestures and his mannerisms. And the newspapers the next day were like, that was hilarious. This is the best thing that's ever happened in this town. Nellie McClung is a satire queen. 
<laughs> satire queen just dry sarcasm the whole time um so, so she's that- funny too not I think only she does is have a sense she of humor. a feminist she's funny <laughs> she's funny she could be on 22 minutes yeah get her on um, exactly what they're looking for <laughs> yeah <laughs> so when the province calls an election in July. Nellie was the unofficial but unanimous leader of the franchise cause for women. So she's not like the president of the league or anything. But at this point, it's like, oh, she was she was the lady in the thing. That's the person we she should was turn funny. to. She'll stand yeah. up to the big mean men. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And like, so the one thing about Nellie, though, is that she's very suspicious of partisan politics so she doesn't believe in the idea that you should be a conservative or you should be a liberal. Like, you should just represent your own philosophies. And then in the House or in the, the Legislative Assembly, you should just vote for things that you believe in. Like, okay. she doesn't like the idea that, like, liberals always have to vote liberal and conservatives always have to vote conservative. So she doesn't subscribe to any one party. She's not like, I'm supporting the liberal candidate. She's like... Right. I'll support She's going to support whoever she thinks does the best job and is saying the things that she wants to hear. Exactly. Yeah. Um, she. What a crazy idea. I know. It's crazy. It's not a problem we have today. Thank uh. God we've moved past that. Um, <laughs> that being said, the conservatives are clearly her foil. Like, okay. it's the conservative premier that's like the person that she butts heads with the most. Um, she does speak at liberal meetings and assemblies. And the conservatives literally burnt her in effigy. So they, like, make a fake Nellie McClung and burn it. <gasps> Shut up. I will not. <laughs> that is craziness. Thing. Imagine. That's like voodoo doll stuff. Like, that. that's not okay. Yeah, but I mean, that only kind of, like, bolsters her profile. And so the media started calling her the Canadian Joan of Arc. Oh, I love that. (laughs) And so in 1915, the conservatives were beaten in the election. And a year later, Manitoba became the first province to enfranchise women. That's so cool. Yay, women. (laughs) Go, go, go. (laughs) Uh, But Nellie's campaign was not finished. So women's suffrage didn't end at the Manitoba border for her. It's kind of like a higher philosophy. So. She didn't remain in Manitoba long after women. Actually, she didn't even remain in Manitoba long enough for, to see them win the vote. Oh, really? So she and her husband moved to Edmonton in 1914, so two years before they actually wind up getting the vote. And that was, again, on account of Wesley's work. Nellie immediately found a community when she joined the Equal Franchise League, an organization that already accomplished uh, a petition for suffrage of 12,000 signatures. So she's like, these guys are of my caliber. I will join them. (laughs) (laughs) They're good enough for Nellie McClung. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, It was in Alberta that she also met Emily Murphy, who again is a star of a Heritage Minute. (laughs) That's very cool. I love it when they connect. Friends. Yeah, oh, like, so they cool. were like good buddies and they actually worked together a lot um, throughout their careers. That's awesome. So Nellie became the honorary president of the Edmonton Women's Institute and the Methodist Women's Missionary Society of Alberta. Her personal okay. profile was growing and giving, le- and she was starting to give lectures across the country now. Uh, the biggest one she gave was like the largest hall in Toronto uh, could barely accommodate the amount of people that came to see her. 
if Nellie McClung like, was cool. alive today, like if Nellie McClung was alive today, she would be a LinkedIn queen. Like LinkedIn <laughs> would be that would be her thing. Like it would be updated daily. Like she would be one of those people who actually like post things like on their LinkedIn. You know, like I am such a pleb when it comes to oh, LinkedIn. I know nothing. I have yeah. a LinkedIn. I do and that's too. It. Yeah, it's useless. I yeah, I should actually update it with that. We do this podcast. I feel like that's things people on LinkedIn care about. Um, But yeah, Nellie McClung would be a LinkedIn queen. (laughs) The Minute Women LinkedIn fan page is going to flourish. So suffrage was still firmly linked with prohibition. So she's still really supporting that kind of like social side of the women's movement. Um, appearing before the Alberta legislature in 1915 as part of a large suffrage delegation, Nellie asserted, our plea is not for mercy, but for justice. I like that. That's badass. Yeah. That is a good line. And she was rewarded. So temperance forces won the provincial referendum on liquor on the 15th of July, and by the next year, alcohol was outlawed. So she has like a really powerful voice for a lot of people. People yeah. are like, ah, uh, if even if you didn't agree with Nellie, it's like, man, if I say that I'm against her, I'm going to turn all of these people against me. So well, prohibition it, it is. <laughs> what I'm impressed by is that she went beyond being a leader for women and moved to being a leader just for people. And yeah. I think that's really cool, especially in, you know, you're saying it's 1915. I mean, for a woman to be changing the course of politics like that, I think that's I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And like, I do like that. It's like I want to fight for it for women everywhere. Like, it's not yeah. just for me. It's not just so I can vote. It's so people across the country can vote. And yeah. she kind of keeps the ball rolling when uh, the neighboring province of Saskatchewan extended the right of vote to women as well so it's it's spreading across the prairies yeah like wildfire like wildfire oh that's (laughs) i was just gonna say that wildfire season got canceled in cape breton it's really upsetting (laughs) what does that mean so like cape breton loves a grass fire we love Uh, to like light stuff on fire and normally it's very much like a wink situation of like don't do it wink but this year, they yeah. were like, please, seriously, don't do it. Like, all the time in yeah. the past where we ignored it. Like, I'm sorry, don't do it. Yeah. And not to mention, this is an extremely stressful period of Nellie's life in general. So in the background, the First World War had started. Yeah. And Nellie's eldest son, Jack, was 17 when the war broke out. And she didn't want to see him sent to the front. Oh, um, no. And... So she, 17, that's prime frontline dying age for World yeah, War I. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And she personally is a huge advocate for peace talks, but eventually she agrees that like the German military needs to be stopped. Um, she joins the Red Cross and the Canadian Patriotic okay. Fund. Uh, Jack does wind up ending enlisting. So when he turns 18, he enlists. And yeah. he's sent to the front in the summer of 1915. And this is okay. like Nellie is distraught by this. Yeah. And so the only thing she does to like cope is just like pour herself into her work. Like she'll do anything to distract from the fact that her son's in Aww. Europe fighting. Yeah. She does love her children. She definitely loves her kids. Okay. 
<laughs> so she We've goes on her circle. longest she goes on her longest speaking tour um she leaves for six weeks throughout the united states and she uses her experience as a mother with a son fighting so like the united states isn't in the war effort yet but she uses those sentiments to try and like raise some like patriotic feeling in people in the United States. And she also finds that like she a lot of women relate to her on that yeah. idea. Well, they, so, they would. Yeah. Yeah. By 1918, she published Three Times and Out, told by Private Simmons. And in this book, Nellie was convinced and, and she explains that women needed to be part of the post-war reconstruction. So okay. it's in her mind, it's like the the world that men built was the world that led to the First World War. So women right. need to participate in the new world that gets built after this. Yeah. Um, after writing to Prime Minister Robert Borden, Nellie and Emily Murphy were invited to Ottawa to join the Women's War Conference in 1918. And this was the That's first so time. That's so cool. Yeah, so they're best pals, they're in Ottawa, and this is the first time the Canadian government ever officially consulted women on anything. (laughs) That is so freaking cool. Yeah. And Jack comes home. Oh, thank God. So Jack didn't die. Probably shell-shocked and traumatized to hell, but he's home. Probably changed, but (laughs) he is physically home, yes. Yeah. So the unity that had formed among progressives during the war started to erode away after 1918. Feminists became divided into many camps. So there were communist feminists, there were conservative feminists, liberals, progressives. Um, There were some that even proposed like just a women's party, like we should just have a women's only party uh, in, in the House of Commons. So... Nellie is still really distrustful of partisanship, though. So she's like, women can't have a party. We shouldn't have any parties. Like, that's not the point. Okay. (laughs) Labor unrest grew as prices rose and jobs disappeared. Once again, she came into conflict with a lot of radical reformers. So Nellie is very conservative in a lot of her, her dealings. And she doesn't believe that any kind of, like, revolution is necessary she's like we should work within the system to try and enact change not start like a communist revolution (laughs) yeah um so she was like strikes have their place but reform depended on working with politicians and working in the political system and nelly is good to her word and she became a liberal mla in 1921 and where was she living at that time So she's still in Edmonton. She's still in Edmonton. Okay. Yeah. So she takes one of the five seats in for Edmonton. And she that year, actually, there were eight female candidates, which is pretty cool. Like just looking at the start of her career and kind of where things were to this point, seeing how far they've come. That's that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Like the idea that women couldn't even vote at the beginning of this. And now she's like in the provincial legislation. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, That's amazing. The liberals were in the opposition. Uh, the The government party was the United Farmers of Alberta Party. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in legislation, Nellie acted more as an independent. So she kind of like lived okay. up to her word. And she was like, I'm not just going to vote with the liberals on everything. I'm going to vote for like what I think is right. Right. And she was also supported by uh, cabinet member Mary Irene Parleby. So... 
uh, I believe she go she went by Irene. She went by her middle name, but she was a cabinet member during that period of time, which is also pretty cool. That's awesome. So, okay, I'm gonna list off a few things that Nellie supported while she was a politician, and I want you to tell me which of these things is not like the other. Okay, I'm ready? ready. I'm focused. Traveling libraries, medical and dental clinics, public health nurses, birth control and eugenic legislation to limit the fertility of the mentally unfit. <laughs> Which um, one's different? I'm, I'm going to go with the last one. Correct. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. So Nellie was like huge into eugenics, which is <laughs> what kind of the thing that people are like, ah. It's a bit off base. <laughs> so... The way it fits into kind of her like worldview is that as First a maternal, off, we'll say we'll say as that she was you know quite religious in her beliefs. The fact that birth control was on the table and that she was supporting that—that's cool. True. Good Very for true. Nelly. So uh, before yeah, we yeah. really throw some shade on her, uh, <laughs> let's just say that that's good. And now let me hear about. The eugenics side of things. (laughs) Like traveling libraries? Yeah. Groundbreaking. Yeah. Very cool. (laughs) All right. And now let's tear to pieces. (laughs) (laughs) So as a maternal feminist, McClung believed that women should be involved in politics due to their natural maternal instincts and interests that included the interests of the health of mothers and children. Women were positioned as both the mothers and guardians of their race. They therefore championed legislation aimed against alcoholism, mental defectiveness, and prostitution. McClung voiced her views in her book, In Times Like These, which she published in 1915. And she stated, To bring children into the world suffering from the handicaps caused by ignorance, poverty, or criminality of the parents is an appalling crime against the innocent and hopeless, and yet one about which is practically nothing said. Marriage, homemaking, and the rearing of children are left entirely to chance, and so it is no wonder that humanity produces so many specimens who, if they are silk stockings or in boots, would be marked as seconds. Oh, dear God. So essentially... I am cringing so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my... So she's like, we have a duty to make sure these children are never born. So Nellie and others believed the sterilization uh, procedures would prevent these kinds of future problems. Oh, no. So Nellie and and her close friend, Emily Murphy, are regarded as two of the most prominent and influential supporters of Alberta's Sexual Sterilization Act, which organized the involuntary sterilization of people considered mentally deficient. The law was enacted in 1928. It It wasn't repealed until 1972. Oh, my God. This is where the term, whoa, Nelly came from. Like, whoa, Nelly. Like, jeez, <laughs> Louise. Yeah. That's not okay. So, between 1928 and 1972, 
uh, thousands of people who are considered psychotic or mentally defective underwent eugenic sterilization. Oh, God. So a little weird, a little awkward. Not great. Yeah. Yeah. Not cool. (laughs) Uh, But... Please don't so, tell like, me we pretend. end there. Please let's end on a like positive note. The end. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we're done. Um, so this is like the high water mark of Nellie's political career. So she and Wesley moved to Calgary in 1923. And that same year, prohibition was repealed due to popular demand. And it was replaced with government sale. So that's like the system we have now. Um Given her outspoken support of prohibition, voters were disinclined to vote for her. So people oh, liked Booze yeah. so much that they were like, we can't get this woman back. <laughs> if you <laughs> vote for her again, she'll take the alcohol away. Prime Minister Mackenzie King tried to get her to run federally in 1930, but she declined. Instead, she decided to refocus her time on activism. Um, okay. Her and Emily fought to give women the right to be appointed to Senate. So that's the what Emily Murphy's heritage yeah. is about is like that's what the she's British for. North America Act, like yeah, like within the British North America Act, women were not defined as persons, and therefore yeah. they couldn't run for Senate. Exactly. Um, yeah. But her and also Irene from earlier. Um, <laughs> so there's like five women that they're I believe they're called like the famous five now. Um, so it's it's Murphy. Irene and uh, an Alberta MLA called Louise McKinney um, and the National Council of Women of Canada Vice President Henrietta Edwards. Oh, that's a name. <laughs> these five women. Yeah, it's like these five women were the ones that fought to have women defined as people, which I think it's strange that they're like, they chose to make the minute about Emily Murphy specifically. Yeah. Like, I think she but, does go on to actually be in yeah. the Senate. And, you know, it might have been it, that they wanted... It was all these women. Yeah, that they wanted to talk about the other women in their own minutes. So had to come up with respective things for, like, each of them. That's true. Maybe yeah. they just never got around to it. Yeah. <laughs> so these five women appeal, and their appeal is approved in 1929. Wow. Um, she also went on a bunch of like church conferences. Of course, <laughs> so she, she did. goes to like England to represent the Methodist Church. Um, she was the first female on the board of governors of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, so CBC. Ah, oh, um, and cool. she also promoted the ordination of women in the church, the Methodist Church, which was oh. achieved in 1936. So she's like, women that's a big step. Yeah, they yeah. should be because I feel like churches are like enclaves of conservatism so if you can get them (laughs) to change that's like a big deal that's a big deal um in in 1932 the mcclungs moved to victoria bc uh, again for wesley's work but he retired a year later and then the two purchased a small farm in bc uh called lantern lane in 1935 oh isn't that just nelly was I, i know they called it that so imagine if you have a property big enough that you get to name it yeah. Anyways, Nellie was still authoring books and working. Uh, she was appointed to a Canadian delegation to the League of Nations in 1938 that addressed social issues about women and children. 
when the Second World War broke out, Nellie was very vocal about her condemnation of Japanese internment camps and Canada's closing of the border to Jewish refugees. So she's yeah. like, these internment camps are really bad and we should be letting all these Jewish people into the country and not sending them away. Uh, but also you're... She was correct. <laughs> she was correct, but also like you're into eugenics. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. How do you not see... Nazi, the different the, like, times, that. <laughs> different times. <laughs> anyways, that. But Ugh. anyways, yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of like the back of her, back half of her career is her living in BC, but still advocating for all of these kinds of causes. And yeah. she did well into her later years. Um, but Nellie uh, passed away at the age of seventy-seven. On the 1st of September, 1951. Yeah, Yeah. she was young. She was young. But that's the the turbulent career of Nellie McClung. It's like, it's pretty great. And then there's just this one thing that you're like, ooh, that's bad. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. If Nellie was alive today. Get behind. Yeah. If Nellie was alive today, I feel like she'd, uh, she'd rethink that. I hope so. I hope so. I still st- stand by the opinion that, like, I don't think she'd be fun to party with. But no. uh, I'm, ha- no. I'm, I, I'm happy for all of the work that she did. Uh, I'm yeah. very grateful for my, yes. my political rights. But, um, <laughs> yes, yeah. as young it's really just like- Canadian, yeah, as young Canadian women, like, thank you, Nellie McClung, for giving us opportunities to, uh, to be independent, to be able to vote and make our own choices and... Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to our latest episode. We really appreciate it. Um, Make sure, if you're not already, go follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Minute Women Podcast and on Twitter at The Minute Women. And if you'd like to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to, that would be awesome. You can also check out our website, minutewomenpodcast.ca. We'll have all of the episodes there, the sources to the episodes, as well as links to all of our social media. Yeah, and for real, if you are in a different country and listening to the Minute Women, please give us a shout <gasps> yeah. out. Let us know where yes. you are. Let us know who you are. And yeah, maybe someday Grace and I will crash on your couch. So thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>